And one of the great things about being an auditor for so long is you really develop some BS detection skills, yes. right? I rely on those very, very heavily from an operation side of things as well. And so while I've, I have never configured a router, I've never been a, uh, a domain administrator, um, I know enough really good ones and I've managed enough really good ones yeah. to know when somebody's lying. Howdy y'all and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Dan Doggendorf, Principal Advisor at Pro46, former CISO, former CIO of the Dallas Stars, and short Dan has done a lot of things in his career. As a Principal Advisor, he is currently operating as a VCSO, and since I've never had a VCSO on the show before, I thought Dan would be a wonderful addition to come talk about that lifestyle. But this show is even more special than that, because Dan and I discussed this topic live on stage at the North Texas chapter of ISSA's Cybersecurity Conference CSC9, held at Collin College up here in the Dallas area. Proceeds from the show benefited the Collin College Cybersecurity Scholarship Fund, and Dan and I were thrilled to be able to donate our time to the conference and to the scholarship fund as well. Without further ado, here is the live recording. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Alrighty, let's get started here briefly. Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in cyber, sort of your pre-VCSO days. Uh, give us some highlights, and then we'll talk a little bit about your day job as a VCSO. Okay, sounds good. So I started my career uh, as, an in, as an IT auditor. Uh, I did that for eight or nine years. Then I uh, got out of the audit field. I, I got tired of just telling people what was wrong, and I actually wanted to help fix the problems. So I moved into security in the late 90s, full-time. And uh, went, I've worked for many different organizations, many different industries, many different sizes, private, public, nonprofit, profit, global, all sorts of different uh, fields. And I've been in security since 99. And uh, unfortunately, I, sometimes I can't keep my mouth shut. So I get straddled with things outside of IT and security as well. So uh, yeah, many, many hats. I get it. I get it. So tell me a little bit about your day job now. What's the VCSO life like? Uh, the VCSO day is, is busy. As a sole proprietor, every small business owner has the, the same challenges, right? Your, your, your marketing, your sales, your delivery, your bookkeeping, everything. So uh, the, the day is very long. Uh, just from the VCSO side of things, I spend a lot of time on calls with clients, I'm doing a lot of advisory work, doing a lot of uh, road mapping with them, doing a lot of assessments with them, uh, vendor management, uh, all of that, and also a lot of legal work with them as well. It's a handful. <laughs> it's fun. So, so how often do you find, I'm just curious, a little side note question, like how often do you find yourself doing the actual VCSO work versus setting up to do the VCSO work? You know, it's funny, it's it, it, not as much as you would think, uh, which is kind of sad. When you're doing this, I, I use a time reporting system, right? And I'll be just exhausted at the end of the day, and it's been 12 hours, and I'm like, wow, I've got like six hours of billable, that's it. And everything else is kind of unbillable, um, just stuff that needs to get done. So so it's it, I'd like to get a little bit more billable, that'd be good. I, I get it. I get it. So uh, I'm I'm a I'm a regular practitioner, sort of day job CISO myself. But I, I feel like it seems the same way, especially now that I'm in a startup where I am hustling all kinds of stuff that 
sometimes I don't even get to CISO during a given day or even two days or even three day period. It seems like there's always something else going on. So you made the transition. You made the transition from uh, CIO, from CISO to starting your own practice and becoming a VC. So what was the pivot there? Like, how did you decide I'm going to become a, a CISO for other people, for other entities to, to make that pivot? What was the pivotal point there for you? First of all, it was, it was completely accidental. This was this was not a goal of mine. So, um, little accident, little divine intervention. A lot, of, a lot of divine intervention. When I was with the Dallas Stars, we went through the process of acquiring the minor league team down in the Austin area, and the the minor league team had one IT person. Long story short, they started calling me for advice. Hey, the IT person thinks we should do this. What do you think? And I give them advice. And that kept going more and frequent, more frequent, more frequent. And I'm like, man, if, if a semi-professional organization is having this kind of challenge of getting the right resources, getting vendor help, getting you know, all of that, uh, what's the normal small business challenge, right? And so I kind of took that model, fell into it, and when I left the stars, um, I was just, I, after so many years, I was just fed up with corporate America. I just couldn't do it again, you know? Um, I, I would, instead of being excited about going to interviews, I'd be like, oh man, I gotta go to an interview today. <laughs> it was just so depressing. So uh, I, I ended up talking to one individual um, that some, a friend of mine had introduced me to, and he just instantly started talking to me about, um, uh, how to start a business. And I didn't understand why. And I'm like, what did, what did my friend tell him? I'm not starting a business. Why is he talking to me about this stuff? And, and then uh, 45 minutes later, I hang up the phone. I talk to my wife. I'm like, well, maybe. And so we started putting the plan together. And, and that's how I got to be the, a, a VC so. so. So a friend tricked you into becoming a VC so. A, absolutely. <laughs> He's no longer a friend. <laughs> no, that's not true. He's still friend, dear friend. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. All right. So I was going to ask you the next question, which is, do you recommend the path you took to others? But it sounds like your path was sort of a stumbled into a sort of path. Are there any sort of deliberate paths to VC? So do you, do you think like, you know, like, like in my career, like I'm, I'm at a point where I feel like I could transition to VC so fairly well, uh, having been a CISO multiple times now, but there's a lot of folks that are coming up through the ranks that haven't been CISOs yet. Is there a path to VCSO for them? Do you think they have to go CISO first? Or do you think they can dive straight into the consulting piece? I, I think it's really hard to be a consultant at something that you haven't done in real life. Mm -hmm. And I run into this all the time. And quite honestly, it, it's a little pet peeve of mine is, is how they're selling themselves as a VCSO to, their, to these organizations, but they've never been a CISO. And for folks like us that have been a CISO and have been in the CEO's, CEO's office and in front of the board and the audit committee, and if you haven't done that and been with the, the legal counsel for external things, and I don't know how you can be an expert that that company is relying on if you've never done it yourself. Yeah, fair enough. In real time. Fair so. enough. I would, okay. Uh, I would agree with that. That makes good sense. So how about, how about this, this question? And, and it's, it's kind of related to the same thing, but to establish yourself as a CISO and then to transition to VC. So to your point, you've got the experience, you've got the skills, you've been in front of the CEO, you've been in front of the board, you've, you've done the doing, you've done the technical stuff, you've managed hopefully GRC as well. You become something of a generalist as a CISO in my mind. And I know there's a lot of folks that, especially when it comes to the consulting world, feel like specialization is key. And I, I wonder what your take on that is. Like, do you, do you feel like you should specialize as a VC? So, or do you feel like as a generalist, you're actually better suited as a VC, so 
I, th I think you can do it both ways. And, and I also have the viewpoint that being a generalist is a specialization, right? Um, the, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm here all day. <laughs> so many times throughout my career, I, quite honestly, I, I would be embarrassed when I would introduce myself as a generalist, right? Because I'm like all these super technical people, the network guru, the database guru. Um, I've, I, over the, the years, I've, I've learned that being able to be a generalist is a specialization in its own right. Um, because there's a lot of those folks that you don't want to put them in front of a board. Right. That would be a disaster. Right. right? And, and we've seen it. It is a disaster. Yep. Um, and that's usually how CISOs get hired because that person has soured the whole organization. Right. And we have to fix that. So I think you can do it both ways. I think if you are going to be a specialized CISO, you've got to know, as Clint Eastwood, as Dirty Harry says, you've got to know your limitations. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And you have to have a great network of people that complement your gaps and not be afraid to call on them when you need that specialization that they have. Right. Sometimes that specialization is, you know, they're, they're encryption specialists, right? Well, that's not me. Right. Right. And so they do a lot of things that I can't do. But a lot of times they'll call us like, man, I've got to go in front of the board and talk about Sarbanes-Oxley. Can you help me? You know, what do I do? I don't know anything about Sarbanes-Oxley, which is its own encryption model in its own right. So... <laughs> All right. So, you know, years ago, long before I started in cyber, I started in IT. I'm old enough that there weren't so many dedicated security roles back in the day. I'm giving away my age here. Um, and early on, I decided I wanted to be an IT manager. And I chose that generalist path myself, like on purpose. Like I was like, if I'm going to manage a team of people that do networking, that do servers, that do Windows, that do Linux, that do whatever, you know, I, I wanted to know enough about each of their little worlds to, to try to be an effective leader in that space, right? And, and at the same time, as a leader, I'm, I'm a big believer in the maxim that you should always hire people that are better at what they do than you are, right? Like, you should have a way better Linux guy than your Linux capabilities, a way better Windows gal than your, you know, your Windows capabilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, build out your team of experts, but know enough about their realm that you can sit down and have a meaningful conversation and, and, and kind of know it a bit. And so transitioning from that to security, I found it to be a lot harder as I grew through my career because getting started in the early days, it wasn't like, you know, basically there was the security guy. Like, I was it. There was me. And I was like, okay, I have to learn firewalling and I have to learn encryption and I have to learn endpoint protection. And, and I, I feel like now, especially for all the folks, like, like folks that are attending Colin college, you know, folks that are getting you know started more in their careers, it feels like they've got that choice that I had in IT now in security. And so what is your advice to them? Like same strategy I took, like, go, go try and do all the things, go do incident response and go do forensics. And you know, what's, what's your advice there? Yeah, it, it, it is that same path. Uh, and you can get a little bit more focused and be focused on security, but uh, you know, same path for me. I started as an IT auditor. I think if you have the opportunity, that is a great way to get exposed to all sorts of different things, right? Um, so if, if that's an opportunity that comes along, I would encourage all the students and anybody else who wants to get in the cybersecurity field, that's, that is a crash course in, in, in all technology and all uh, cybersecurity. And it forces you to be that generalist. I, I like but that. It's a, yeah, but at the same time, I do think, Alan, that uh, I encourage people. I, I don't really want somebody who comes out of college and says, I want to be a forensic investigator and that's all I want to do because, uh, you know, I've got a 21-year-old daughter who just graduated college and uh, I had so many conversations with her. It's like, you think that's what you want to do, but you don't really know what else is out there. Right. So go try it. Right. Because 
you may end up doing a job that you never ever knew was a job, right? And you stumble upon it. So I, I encourage all of them to, it, when they're doing their day job and when they're talking to somebody at lunch or whatever, or a vendor, or a, a mixer like this, a conference, um, man, if there's something that piques your interest, dig into it, dig into it. I love that. And, and it's, it's refreshing to hear somebody who started on the audit perspective, making it to CISO, making it to CIO, making it to VCSO. One of the hazards I've seen uh, the industry in the last, let's say, maybe 10 years or so is because so many new technical roles have opened up, because you can specialize in forensics, incident response, you know, endpoint protection, firewalls and networking, encryption, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of folks feel like if you don't have that technical background, you're not going to cut it as a CISO. And I've personally met, you know, and I, I came up through the technical ranks. I have no problem sharing that at all. I, I was very much a technical practitioner and, and, and came up through the ranks that way. But I, at one point in my career, forced myself to learn GRC. I divorced myself from the tech side of the house. I, I, I went to the CISO and said, I want to manage the GRC team. What's your background with GRC? None whatsoever. That's why I want to do it. He took a gamble on me. I dove in. I learned that world. I learned audit. I learned compliance. I learned governance. I learned risk management. I learned the tools. Yeah, I got sucked into GRC for a, a good long while and fell behind on the tech and started to feel this desperate, like, oh my God, I'm losing my tech chops. I'm losing my tech chops. And I jumped back into the technical side of the house, having now gotten all these GRC skills. And I found that, um, yes, I was behind. There were all kinds of cool new toys that had come out since I last was you know, in, in depth with it. But I felt like the experience gave me this broader, it's back to that generalization conversation. I, 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 I reached a level where I was able to let go knowing the details of the tech side of the house. Like it was like, oh, okay, so endpoint protection has evolved. There's, there's, you know, there's UEBA and, you know, on the SIM now. And there's these, you know, there's all these various and sundry new tools. And it was okay that I didn't know them. I felt like because I had mastered tech at one point, because I'd mastered GRC at one point, I, I now was qualified to be a true cyber leader. And so, you know, for me, the challenges that I face now are letting my technical team lead without having to know the nuances of what they do in detail anymore. Letting my GRC team lead, even though, you know, again, you know, the, whatever the Archer deployment is, if you're not the one managing and running it or whatever tool you choose, you know, there's depths and nuances there that I'll never know as the CISO. You reach this point where you've got these new challenges. It's not about the learning and the mastering. It's about the letting go to me. So what do you think? What are the biggest challenges that you faced as a CISO? And then also, what are the biggest challenges you face as a VC? So come, in, come into it from the outside. Yeah, so, so as a CISO, uh, you're absolutely right. I, I did not come up through the technical side. I came up through the evaluating the technical side. And one of the great things about being an auditor for so long is you really develop some BS detection skills. Yes. Right? And uh, I rely on those very, very heavily from an operation side of things as well. Um, and so while I've, I have never configured a router, mm -hmm. I've never been a, uh, a domain administrator, um, I know enough really good ones and I've managed enough really good ones yeah. to know when somebody's lying to me. Right. And it I, does and not I, take six weeks to do that, sir. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. And uh, the, so, so that's a, a big component of it. So that's that is a, a skill set that I encourage all CISOs to develop because, um, and there's, there, there's a lot of BS that comes across our desk, right? right? So right. Um, the other challenge from a, from a VCSO perspective is kind of, again, back to that, that client has engaged you and is paying you pretty good money, 
to be that sounding board for them and to mm -hmm. put them on the right path. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges is keeping up with everything, not knowing the details of how to do it, but what can be done, right. what, what tool can help solve that particular problem. You don't know how, to, how that tool does it, but you know the tool exists right. and you know who to reach out to to find out about how to do that tool. Right. And, and, and man, if I could figure out a way to make a living just reading articles and attending conferences, man, that would be awesome. You're in charge of cybersecurity at your company, but do you really know what's going on with your security controls? And are they actually working to keep you safe? The problem is when controls fail, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ, the automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, better decisions, real security outcomes. That's Attack IQ. Check them out by visiting attackiq.com. And thank you, Attack IQ, for sponsoring this episode. You reach the CISO ranks, and you know, to what we said earlier, you, you find yourself not doing very much security compared to what you used to do. I spend as much time communicating upstairs, I spend as much time preparing reports, planning, doing program management, putting together the entire cybersecurity program and sort of justifying it in business terms, blah, 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 blah. And things pass me by. And to your point, I've got some good people on my team that I can say, hey, what's the latest in endpoint protection? You know, and once upon a time it was AV and then it was AV with uh, heuristics and then it was, uh, you know, EDR came out and now there's XDR and blah, 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 blah. And, you just have to lean on your folks to know that stuff, but you have to still be at that level because somebody in the board, it's inevitable. I call it airline magazine syndrome. I don't know if you guys run into this one. CEO flies on the airplane, reads a half pager in an airline magazine. He comes back and goes, okay, what are we doing about this problem? And it's whatever the latest du jour was. It's probably ransomware. It might be something else. You have to be prepared for that with answers and you have to have broad strokes, you know, to your point, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to, get into we're using CrowdStrike Falcon and we're using this module and that module and we have the SAS mode and da da da. I'm just going to say we have endpoint protection, sir, <laughs> you know, and, and get into it at that level. So to me, the challenges there are much more about communication. They're much more about, um, to your point, staying on top of the trends, but but more importantly, being able to immediately incorporate that trend when it appears and, and, and translate it into business speak and be prepared to speak to its impact on the business. Because again, back to airline magazine syndrome, you might have read an article about EDR, like, are we using EDR? I've heard EDR is the cool thing. Are we using that? Are we using that? You know, and, and you're having that conversation. So to me, the big victories as the CISO are those moments when kind of all the stars align. You're aware of the trends. You've got programs in place to start getting to the newer versions of the things that are out there. And you've got them targeted in a fashion that's addressing the known risks, that's achieving known business objectives, uh, that the stars are aligned, that you're on budget, you're on track. And the CEO comes or the board comes and asks you, what are we doing about blah? And the answer is just, bam, we're doing this. And you can just throw that on the table. So as a VC, so it strikes me that that's a little bit of a harder challenge because you're not enmeshed with the team so much. You're not, you know, I, I think of the CISO job almost as like the spider in the center of the web. Every little vibration on every strand I feel and I know, but you're almost like on a branch next to the web coming in occasionally. Like, how does that challenge work for you? It, it's really hard because not only from from that that web type of model that you're talking about, but you've also got multiple webs in multiple trees, mm -hmm. and you have to remember when they call out of the blue, 
Which web is which? Which web is which? And it's like, okay. Uh, and I have had to say, it's like, remind me again, you're using this endpoint solution, right? <laughs> you know, type of thing. So, so keeping all of that straight is a big challenge for sure. And you don't, because, well, I think all of us have this challenge right now with the remote world. You don't hear things in the hallway as a VC. So you don't hear, mm -hmm. um, you, you don't get memos that are going to the employees about what the company's about to do. Right. Because you're a contractor and you're not, and I support this, you shouldn't be getting those memos, right? right? You, you want to avoid co-employment and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so it's really hard to keep your finger on the pulse of it. And so I make a conscious effort to reach out to the client every once in a while, even if there's nothing to, to be happening, right? Um, just like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. And it's amazing what they learn. And they just tell you things. And they're like, why didn't you call me about that? Like, I never thought about it, you know, type of thing. Right, so right. they're going down these security paths, and they don't even realize they're going down a security path that they should be reaching out to you right. for, for assistance. Right. I, I would argue that even happens not with VCSO. I, I can't tell you how often. <laughs> you know, one of the earliest things I try to achieve as a CISO in a new shop is educating the business to that degree that they at least know, oh, this is a security-ish thing, reach out to the security team. Just that hurdle alone, if you can overcome it to me, is one of the single most critical hurdles. Everything else after that becomes easier. You know, it's, it's funny you say that, Helen, because I, I've had so many conversations and there's so many um, CISOs that get wrapped around the axle about who they report to. Like, I'm yeah, sure yeah, you've yeah. heard this thing oh, all, yeah. all yeah. the time. Yeah, we've, we've right? done shows on it even. Like, where should yeah, you report? I'm sure. And, and people will look at me like I've, I've grown a third eye when I say, it doesn't matter where I report. Mm -hmm. Because as a good CISO, if you don't have a strong relationship with your general counsel, your marketing team, your communications team, your CIO, Amen. HR, CEO, CFO, uh, and the list goes on and on, then you're not going to be an effective CISO anyway, no matter who you report to. So don't worry about who you report to. Full agreement. I, I've reported in my years as CISO, I've reported to CEO, CIO, CFO, general counsel, chief risk officer, and COO. Oh, and CTO. So I've reported into all those structures. And I can tell you there's a plus and a minus to every one of them. Like, like people think like, oh, you're reporting to the CFO. Dude, you're going to get all the money. Yeah, no. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. No. Um, you know, it can. It actually can depending on how much you win them over. But the odds are that the CFO is going to throttle your budget more than anybody will. General counsel, you'll find you have a lot more risk conversations than you would normally. You know, there's, there's these pluses and minuses to all of them. And, and I want to go back briefly to what you said about keeping your clients straight on which solution are they using. I, I was telling Dan this story before we got on stage. Like, this is a true story from yesterday. My calendar has half-hour meetings to the tune of, you know, sometimes 10 hours a day, and I get absolutely no breaks in the middle, eating lunch at my desk. Like, it's, it's insane sometimes being a startup CISO. And I had a meeting with a company who had the word cyber in their name. And I jumped into the meeting, and there's this guy waiting for me. And I'm like, okay, hey, hey. And I ask him, where's Chad? And he says, who's Chad? And I'm like, which cyber whatever are you? <laughs> and I had to dig through my calendar and I realized I was in completely a different meeting than I thought it was. Complete gear switch required. So that even happens to day job CISOs, not just VC says. All right, so let's switch gears and let's get into some of the positive tales because one of the things I like to do anytime, you know, you talk about being a CISO, you talk about being a VC, so, you know, you, you've achieved some milestone in your career. Uh, it's really easy to talk about challenges, which we've done, but I want to focus on the positive now. What are some of the victories? Give me some great came home just going, yeah, VCSO stories. So I would say that three victories that I've had are all very similar. Okay. And when you do VCSO, at least in my practice, there's 
different tiers of VC. So, right. There's an interim VC. So that you're filling an empty chair that somebody left for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. There's a fractional CISO because it's, it's, they're not a big enough organization to need a full-time CISO. And then for the small ones, I have an advisory CISO, which really means that whenever they need me, I'm there kind of like a, an attorney retainer fee. Right. Type of right. Thing, right. Okay. So one of the things when I'm doing fractional or interim is I help the client select their next full-time candidate. Okay. So I get in there and I'm running that role for them. I'm learning that culture. I'm learning the technology for them. I help them interview the candidates because, and I'm putting together that candidate's perspective on security, how they're going to fit culturally, how they're going to fit technology-wise. And I've done this for three different clients now where I've, they were very excited about candidates that I interviewed. I'm like, they're not right for you. And I explained to them why. And they're like, wow, I, I didn't pick up on that. I never realized. You're right. He did say that, you know, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Wrong kind um, of CISO for you. Yeah, wrong, wrong CISO for you. And then we go through the process and I help them find the right one. And that's very, very satisfying. It's satisfying not only for the, for the client, but also the candidate. Interesting. So, all right. So that's, and, and three victories of that same sort. What about other stuff besides, besides the hiring and recommending, you know, coming in, like I'm imagining, and I've never done the VC. So thing. this is why I'm asking so many questions is, you know, incident response, for example. Oh my goodness. I would imagine sometimes that you just lost Saturday and Sunday like that. Walk me through some of those kinds of stories. Like, like, do you walk away from that feeling like we did it, we achieved, we've altered the organization, the next incident we're going to do better? Have you, you have any good IR stories? Yes and no. Um, and I say that because the way my business is structured is I have affiliate um, partners, okay. right? So not legal partners. So if I have a client that has a breach, I go into that generalist model, general contractor, okay. right? Um, and I'll, I'll also make that relationship with uh, with the medical field, right? So I'm your family practitioner. Okay. You come to me with a broken leg. I'm not setting your leg, okay. but, I'm, but I'm referring you to an orthopedic and I'm bringing in and I, and I stay in tune with that with that um, orthopedic or that forensic firm. I've done a lot of evaluations of various vendors and, and that are affiliates of mine. Yep. And so when they come to me and I recommend an affiliate to them, they know that they've already been vetted. Right. If they like my work, they're going to like their work because. Okay. You've vetted them and you know who they are. Exactly. And Oh, that's great. And you get to sleep on weekends too. That's exactly. okay. Now I see why we want to be VC. So <laughs> make a note. Now I did do. I, and it wasn't even a client of mine, but it was an affiliate of mine. He had a client. Uh, it was a, a chief of staff services firm. He had a client that had a breach. Called me. said they're really worried about the privacy side of things. Can you help? I'm like, yep. Let me get reach out to my privacy attorney. Within two hours, we were on the call with them. Not my client. Still not my client. But we helped them out. They got comfort. We got introduced to a prospect client that may be a client three years from now. Right. And right. we helped out an affiliate that made him look good to his business. Oh, I love and that. It. Comes back and pays. Yeah, not to mention your affiliates love you when you love them, right? Absolutely. Um, that's brilliant. So uh, let's switch gears. Uh, we talked about the positives. Let's go negative now. I want to hear. This one's going to be the personal revelation time. What is the single worst mistake you've made as a VC? <laughs> so, so, uh, so I told you about the successes of hiring the right candidate, yep. right? Um, I made a mistake of putting myself in that candidacy pool oh. at one point. And I, I joined them after being a contractor for several months. Uh, it was about four months in. I'm like, 
man, I, what a mistake this was. <laughs> and for those of you who know me outside of today, you know I'm fairly direct. People are smiling at me. All right. Okay. So Let the record show. Yeah. So it's, it's perform, which they love as a VC, so they don't like it so much as an employee. So we're sitting at performance review time, which is just a pet peeve of mine in general. If there's any HR people, I'm sorry, but I just think that's the biggest waste of time ever. We're sitting in there like six o'clock at night. We've been in this room all day long doing a lot of different things. We're doing performance with HR. We spend 25 minutes talking about this one individual and do they belong, it's a nine square, do they belong in the upper right corner of the middle square or their lower left corner of the upper right square? And we're talking a quarter inch, right? Okay, quarter inch difference, 25 minutes. And they, I never said a word, which is very uncharacteristic of me. And by this time, keep in mind, I had already known that this was a mistake. And the HR lady looks at me, and, and she, we were good friends. She says, um, Dan, you, you're being very quiet. What do you think? I said, I think I remember why I started my own company, so I don't have to deal with this BS. <laughs> <laughs> the meeting ended, and I left a few months later. Oh, my goodness. So my goodness. That, that was okay. my biggest mistake, and, and I've had clients since then ask me, it's like, do you want to be full-time before they even get the question? I'm like, no. nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Not going to do it. Nope. Oh, that's hysterical. All right. How about the VCSO world itself? When you were a practitioner CISO, practitioner CIO, did you ever leverage VCSO services yourself? No. To be, to be honest with you, and again, like I fell into it by accident, I didn't even know they existed. Okay. To be honest with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, so no, I, until I, I your friend set you up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So so that means that you have come from the interior perspective, now outside looking in, you've done it for a while. What do you think should change about the VCSO world? I stumped him. I finally yeah, stumped you, him. You, you, you did. Um, so I think there's several things. One, and I think we've talked about a lot of them already. I think the VCSO needs to be, have experience as a practicing CISO. Okay. Right. There is a lot right now cybersecurity is sexy, right? And cybersecurity sells. And everybody and their brother is offering a cybersecurity service mm -hmm. because that's what the Google search is, yeah, right? Of course. And there are so many unqualified consultants out there selling themselves as VCSOs. I would love to see that change. And I would love to see people embrace that you can still be of a tremendous value to your client and still make a good living from your client by doing what you do and being true to yourself and bringing in the right people to help assist you with your client. I would love to see people get more comfortable in their own skin. I love that. That's a great answer. All right, so words of encouragement. Uh, people wanna become CISOs, people wanna become VCSOs, people want to climb the ladder and do things and maybe start their own company, whatever it might be. Um, what are your words of encouragement for those who are not there yet, but are looking to that? So if you're already a practicing CISO, and to me, by, by definition, um, you'll also it, take a step back. Some people will refer to themselves as CISOs, but it's just one of the 16 hats that they wear. Right. Right. To me, a practicing CISO is your full-time job is you are a security professional. 
You're not getting called when the server crashes or anything like that. You are just doing security. To me, that's the, yep. how I'm defining CISO. Perfect. So, um, man, I lost the question. What's Sorry. the uh, what's the words of encouragement for those looking uh, words to do of it? encouragement to become yeah. CISO to become yeah. VCSO? So, if you're already this. in that CISO role and you want to become a VCSO, you know, start networking now before you're unemployed. And who you're networking with is very important, right? So while it's great to network with other CISOs and security professionals for your delivery experience and your delivery network, that's not who's going to be hiring you, right? They've already got a CISO because it's them. It's your friend. Start networking with other business folks, accountants, general counsels, uh, CEOs. lawyers, COOs, CROs, CEOs, CFOs. That's who you want to network with if you want to develop a VCSO business. Where you need the CISOs is when it's time to deliver and you're at capacity. That's when you, that network comes in. So, so I think I see so many security people network with only other security professionals, which is fantastic. But if you want to be a, your own VCSO, it's not going to get you any business. Show of hands. I'm just real curious right now. We'll make this a little more interactive at the moment. We're going to do Q&A later too, but just show of hands. How many of you guys consciously network outside of the security profession? Raise your hands if you do. Not too bad. Not too bad. That's more than I expected too. Awesome. All right. So what about other words of wisdom? Again, be true to yourself. We talked about this already. If you're a specialist, be a specialist and own it. Um, there are some clients that require that specialization. Some of them, you know, if they're government contractors, they are looking for somebody who specializes right now in CMMC, mm -hmm. right? If you're a manufacturing company, they're looking for somebody that specializes in IoT, Yep. right? If you're a software development company, you're looking for application security people. And if that's you, you can stop looking because they don't exist, right? So... Um, I was very disappointed to see that that wasn't one of the curriculum up on this on the port because we need application security people in this in this world really really bad. So, one final question I ask every guest, and then we'll open up the floor for some Q and A. Um, what surprises you the most in cybersecurity? One of the things that surprises me still is there are a lot of practitioners that still kind of prey on the fear, uncertainty, and doubt mm. methodology. It never worked. It was a bad idea before it even came out of somebody's mouth, and it still doesn't work. Um, and it surprises me that people still do that. I also am not a fan of cliches, like it's not a matter of if, it's when, and stuff like that. I'm just surprised at how many people do that type of thing. That FUD... FUD still reigns. Exactly. And it, it, I'm very surprised by it. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you. A little play out music it. for you there. Thank you very much. For you know how me. hard it was to find this track? Country and Western meets hip hop is not easy to find, people. There's even some scratching if you listen to it long enough.